Locked on NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Miami to speak with Wes Goldberg of Locked On Heat about Miami's push for that Eastern Conference playoff spot. We'll go to Detroit to speak with Matt Schock of Locked On Pistons as Detroit looks to hold on not only to a playoff spot, but to that sixth seed. And lastly, we'll go to Orlando to speak with Philip Rossman Reich of Locked On Magic as the Magic look to push themselves in and end the playoff hopes of a another Eastern Conference team. It's all coming up, the bigger stories, with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hi guys and welcome back to another episode of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday Locked On NBA host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com. We're going to be talking Eastern Conference playoff race in today's show. So touching on a few of those teams that are looking for the final three spots in the Eastern Conference playoffs. So let's get to it. I'm joined now by one of the hosts of the Locked on Heat podcast, Wes Goldberg, is here to talk about a Miami team that is pushing for these playoffs, currently situated in the eight seed, half a game ahead of the Orlando Magic, half a game behind the Brooklyn Nets. It's going to be a, a tense final few games of the season here, Wes. It is, um, and it doesn't help with Miami's schedule. They, we're, they're going into a home-and-home home against the Boston Celtics right now. It's going to be pretty challenging. You know, then then they're off to Toronto, a game against Philadelphia. This is not they they have one of the more challenging schedules out of all the teams uh, that are kind of in this in this race for the sixth, seventh, and eighth seed in the East right now. The Nets have got a almost equally challenging schedule, but then you got the Magic and the mm. Pistons in there as well, who who do have things a little bit easier than the Heat. Um, Miami has won their last two games, games they needed to take care of against the Mavericks and against the Knicks, uh, of course. But they are dealing with a couple of injuries at the moment, Wes. I don't know how long it's been since we've seen Justice Winslow. It's about uh, two weeks now since he's been uh, mm-hmm. playing. We've seen Josh Richardson miss the last two, and both of these guys are going to miss the road game in Boston. What's the update on, on these two guys, and is their return critical for the Heat you know, solidifying this playoff spot? And Well, both Justice Winslow and Josh Richardson will be in Miami for that game in Boston, so there's no chance of them playing. Um, and I don't think that they're... They, they could play, so they play Monday night in Boston, then they fly back, and they play Wednesday night uh, against the Celtics in Miami. So they could be ready by then. Uh, as far as Josh Richardson goes, it's not supposed to be a season-ending injury, right? And, you know, he missed the last couple of games, so basically he's he, he is expected to return at some point in these next seven games. Um, Justice is a little bit more questionable, and we're just now getting word, too, that Derek Jones Jr., is questionable for that game against Boston too. So the Heat are pretty short-handed right now, and they're not gonna—they're gonna be without Rodney Magruder as well, a, a wing off their bench. So there is an there is an opportunity for some guys to step up. We're already seeing the Heat rely a little bit more on Deion Waiters. He had a big game, he had, uh, 28 points against the Knicks in that win that you mentioned. Dragic and Waiters are sort of rekindling that backcourt because um, they were the starting backcourt two years ago, and so there's trying—they're trying to figure out how to to kind of recreate the magic that they that they had in that 30 and 11 stretch that Heat fans will talk about all the time um, to end that 2016 season. But 
Um, then you've got guys like Duncan Robinson, who played, who's been playing this season on a two-way contract, who could end up being a starter in some of these crunch time games. Uh, a guy like Ryan Anderson, who the Heat acquired from the Suns at the trade deadline in that Tyler Johnson deal, which was basically a salary dump, and he was just sort of the guy that came back for salary filler and and hasn't played any meaningful minutes so far. He could play some really meaningful minutes down the stretch in these next few games. So the Heat are really shorthanded. They're going to have to figure out a way to... Uh, to pull these games out, they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, look, there is obviously a, a ton of stuff that, that can happen with this team. It is going to be really challenging to see exactly how all this works for this uh, for this Heat team uh, as we move forward. I want to do. I just want to touch on Dwayne Wade uh, with you, Wes. I'm sure you guys have been touching a ton on this with uh, with Wade on Locked On Heat recently. But his mm-hmm. recent form has been oh, not recent. His form all season w- would suggest that this is a guy who does have many, many more, or not many more, maybe at least a couple more seasons. <laughs> but he has been really crucial for this team. For a guy that when he came over in the trade deadline last season, it did struggle at times, but it's been a more invigorated uh, Wade for the rest of this season. Yeah, the incredible thing about Dwayne Wade is he kind of, you get this sense that he really is just wanting to leave it all on the court, but you also kind of, he looks healthier than he has, you mentioned last year, uh, coming back over from Cleveland and that whole situation, like, there is something about being in Miami that is almost like a fountain of youth for him, I think, and I I do think part of it is that his family's there, Um, he's comfortable there, his trainer is there that he works with, you know, several times a week. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with it, just his overall conditioning, you know, and I don't think, you know, I think when we look back on Dwayne Wade's career in general, to take even a, a little bit of a larger scope on this whole situation, we're going to look back on the, what Dwayne Wade was like in that, like those 2013, 2014 years. We all remember like the knee maintenance programs and stuff like that. And especially that 2014 season, the last season, LeBron was in Miami where he's playing every other game at best. And he just looked like a broken down version of himself. And he has since completely remade his body, completely remade the mechanics of his lower body and and doing all these things to just sort of get this extra few years out of his career. And, and you talk to players around the league and they all say, like, I can't believe this dude's retiring. Like, he could play another two years. And they legitimately believe it. But then credit Dwayne Wade. He's like, you know what? This is enough. I'm, I'm leaving it all on the court right now. And uh, he's going to walk off the way he wants to walk off. And, uh, and, and, hope, and, he, and the Heat are really trying to get to the playoffs really – a big motivational factor for them is just for Dwayne Wade. Obviously, there's a lot of other reasons why they want to make the postseason, but that is a real thing that they talk about where they, they say, like, this is Dwayne's last year. It, it just seems right that his last two games would be playoff games. Like, that just seems like the best way to send him off. Um, and then you look at games like the end of that Dallas Mavericks game where he, where he had the steal into the, the dagger layup for the win there. And it's just like, those are sort of the things that Heat fans are just going to miss is just, not only what he's able to do in, in crunch time, but the leadership, um, the 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 you know just the way he goes about winning games. It's there's just an exciting way to to how he does it, and that's kind of why he's always been one of the more uh, famous uh, players in the league. It's because he's just a whole lot of fun to watch, and uh, I think people are really going to miss that when he goes away. The Heat made a change to their starting center. Um, it was initially due to injury to Hassan Whiteside, but Bam Adebayo has kept that position. I don't really envisage this changing for this Miami team, but how has that change been with with the overall squad and the fit with the other starters and Whiteside and his bench role? Has there been any grumbling for him? Because some days he'll play 20 minutes, some days he'll play five minutes, and he has been mm. a notoriously prickly character over the course of his career, especially towards the end of last season. How has this change made, which... Uh, 
it's going to be permanent. He, you know, Whiteside assuming he opts in, which he will next season, this is going to be the way things run next year. How has that dynamic been for this uh, last month or so? So far, it's been good, right? Like so far, first of all, Bam Adebayo and Hassan Whiteside have a great relationship. They're like they're they're really really tight uh, as far as guys in that locker room goes. So I think that helps. Um, you know, there's not a lot. You don't get the sense that there's much resentment from Hassan Whiteside's. Uh, point of view, and, and Bam Adebayo has taken the starting job and really done a uh, kind of added a different flavor to that starting unit. Where you know we know the knock on Whiteside is yeah he can go get blocks, he can go get rebounds, and he's got he's got the potential to go out and get you twenty points on a night. You know even if he's not doing it every night, but the big knock on him has always been that he's sort of this black hole offensively, and he doesn't really pass out of the post. You know, and, and he doesn't he's he's in. He's an option on offense, but he's not really a part of the offense. And that is kind of the difference with Bam Adebayo where, yeah, he's not going out and scoring a bunch. He's not looking really for his own shot. And that's that's the knock against him is that you'd, you almost want him to be a little bit more aggressive. But there's been games this season where Adebayo has finished with eight assists in a game from a center. And so they like to run a lot of dribble handoffs with him. Um, the front court with him and Kelly Olynyk just works a lot better. It's not as clunky as it was when it was Olynyk and, and Whiteside. Um, you know, Bam just adds a little bit more ability um, when when they're going up against other certain front courts. Defensively, it matches up. Like Bam will will slide onto some power forwards if if it's going to be an issue for Olenek, um for some of those stretch fours, small ball fours that are in the league right now. So I think it just it it provides a lot of options for them defensively and then offensively. Like I said, Bam just seems to be more of a part of the offense. He's a more of you know a willing passer, somebody who's facilitating and has a really really good feel for the game. And I think that's been more on display than ever. And then as far as the future goes, like, look, like I said, things are peachy right now. Um, I don't know what happens this summer. I don't know if the Heat are going to, like, yeah, you're right. Whiteside's going to opt in. He would be crazy not to. It's a $25 million contract. He's coming. He's opting in. I don't know if the Heat are going to try to trade him because the idea going forward is for Bam to start. It's not to just suddenly put Whiteside back in next season. Now, I don't know if Whiteside thinks that that's what's going to happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Heat's front office said, you know, we, we really don't want to pay our backup center, 25 million bucks next year. Let's maybe try to move him and see what we can get for him. Um, not that they haven't tried to trade him in the past, but I do think Whiteside's, like I almost think his value has been helped more by coming off the bench and just being happy with it than sort of the rumblings that we heard, and not even heard, it wasn't rumblings, like he just said it to the media that he was upset with his playing time last season. So I thought that hurt his trade value going into the summer. So I think he's worked up his trade value a little bit and doesn't it doesn't hurt that he'll be on an expiring contract next year either. It is going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. But, of course, how this Miami Heat team can uh, can push themselves into these uh, into this final week and a half of the NBA season to try and solidify a playoff spot. Where's you'll have that over on Locked On Heat, of course, as usual. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Thanks, Josh. Make sure you guys never miss an episode of Locked On NBA by subscribing to this podcast in the new Himalaya podcast app. Download that from your app store and then subscribe to Locked On NBA. Let's bring in the host of the Locked On Pistons podcast, another one of those teams in the battle for the Eastern Conference playoffs. Matt Schock is here to speak with us. Uh, Matt, it's a, it's an interesting end to the season. Obviously, we've got the Pistons, the Nets, the Heat, and the Magic all fighting for those remaining three playoff spots. The Pistons in the box seat at the moment, but it's far from a guarantee that they are in the playoffs, especially with Blake Griffin missing last game and, uh, and ruled out at this point, or listed on the injury report as out for Monday against the Pacers. Yeah, he, he went through uh, warm-ups on Saturday night against the Portland Trailblazers, and everything seemed fine, and then he kind of disappeared out of the layup lines 
the uh, the team doctors took a look at him and uh, decided that he would not go. And Thonmaker got the start on Saturday night because of him, or instead of him. And uh, you know, it didn't seem like that serious of a thing because like uh, he didn't look all that abnormal in uh, in warmups. But uh, you know, he's just kind of limping around a little bit. Uh, again, Pistons fans weren't really all that concerned after that one. But now, like you said, the news from today on the other uh, injury report that uh, Blake Griffin will be out for tonight's game against Indiana as well. So, uh, you know, could become an issue, obviously, if it's going to be a long-term thing. We haven't heard anything from the coaching staff or anyone else about the the long-term prognosis for this. Obviously, it's a tough road game to play at Indiana anyway, so might be uh, more careful than anything else, but uh, that remains to be seen. And obviously, the best player on the Pistons and the most important player on the Pistons. So if he's going to be out for any kind of extended run or even into the playoffs, if the Pistons are fortunate enough to get there, that's going to turn them in from uh, – a team that could have a shot of possibly putting up a fight in the first round to a team that will be a quick exit for somebody in the first round. We know that Griffin's had knee problems in the past. So it is a little bit concerning that at this point in the season when the Pistons really do need to you know, make sure they get every win here because their schedule is not all that easy. Their, their next two games are against the Pacers uh, at Indiana Monday, then home against Indiana Wednesday. Then they play the Thunder on Friday in Oklahoma City. The last three games, maybe not quite as challenging as the Hornets, the Grizzlies, and the Knicks, but these next three games are pretty pivotal. And if you lose those three games, if you go one and two, they could easily drop from six down to eight, perhaps down to nine, depending on how those other three teams perform. So this Griffin injury, I don't think that if it wasn't something that um, was an actual concern, that he wouldn't just be sitting out for rest because they need to bank as many wins as possible here. Yeah, they're not a team that's uh, that's thinking about rest quite yet. Um, Obviously, they got to get in the playoffs for the first uh, part of it, but then you know the seating does matter. I mean, they don't want to fall into that eighth spot and play and play in Milwaukee in the first round. Obviously, with the season that they've had, and we know they they have injuries right now that they're kind of dealing with and going through. But uh, the Bucks swept the Pistons all four games this year in the regular season for the first time in franchise's history uh, for either team, and uh, so that that would be a problem. Any team you don't want to play Milwaukee in the in the first round. They seem to have uh, they they took two uh, they took all three games from Toronto this year, so. They seem to have their number a little bit. Not two of those were with uh, Kawhi Leonard out for one and Kyle Lowry out for the other. But uh, that, you know, Dwayne Casey against his former team is a storyline that they seem to be pretty familiar with. And then Joel Embiid is kind of in Andre Drummond's head and has always dominated Drummond in that one-on-one matchup. But, yeah, staying out of that eighth seed would be pretty important for the Pistons right now. And, uh, yeah, like you said, they're not in cruise control yet. So maybe the fact that he's out for two straight games could be a sign of something even worse for Blake Griffin. This team obviously had a little bit of a change around the trade deadline, bringing in uh, Wayne Allington, sending out Reggie Bullock. What's the difference been like in terms of those players? Now, both of those guys fill a similar role. They sit out there and they bang in threes. Now, Allington takes about 80 85% of his shots from deep, a little bit different to Bullock. But has there been a noticeable change in that making that switch in the starting lineup with Allington coming in to replace Bullock? Yeah, I think so. And like you said, that they're both as far as uh, they're shooters, and they both shoot a lot of threes, like you said. But Bullock's basically going to spot up and uh, make some cuts to the basket, but he's not someone that you really have to game plan much for. Ellington's going to tire you out a little bit. He's going to run you around. He's going to come off the of screens. He's more of a kind of an old school shooter, and that he's already uh, kind of being active and trying to get open a lot out there, as opposed to Reggie Bullock just kind of sitting there and playing off of Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson. So I think that added a little bit to the. 
Pistons offense in that uh, it's just something else for teams to game plan for, something else for defenses to have to think and worry about with Ellington out there. And he's shot the ball really well, especially over the past couple weeks. Uh, has had, he led the team in scoring two straight games, uh, had a season-high 25 the other night as well. So he's been shooting the ball really well and been a really strong addition for the Pistons. And, and Reggie Bullock did, did well for the Pistons when he was there too. But like I said, maybe a little bit less to worry about when he was on the court for defenses. Now back to this playoff situation for, for the Pistons. You've got the Magic who are currently in the ninth seed. They've got five games left at the moment. I'm looking at their their schedule. They take on the Raptors, who are just liberally resting players at the moment. And they have the Knicks and the Hawks. And then in the second last game of the season, they take on the Celtics, who also may be resting people. So I think there's a legitimate chance the Magic can go five and oh here. They're probably more likely to go four and one. How many do you think the Pistons need to win to feel secure in uh, in getting this playoff spot? I think that they're almost there. I mean, you got seven games left. I'm thinking if they could get, you know, three wins, they should probably be all right. Just because, all, like you said, all those teams have got to keep winning. A couple of them have been hot. When you're talking specifically about Orlando, uh, had that long winning streak that they just had six games, I believe. So uh, they're coming in hot. You know, Miami and and Brooklyn as well. The thing is that they're going to be playing a lot of teams, like you said, resting players, and then teams that are well out of the playoff race. So those teams aren't playing for anything. And anytime you put NBA players out there, one team's playing for the fight of their lives, and the other team's not really playing for anything. Uh, naturally, these teams are going to have all really good records probably down the stretch. But I, I think it, just the way that things are positioned right now, and I do think. That Brooklyn's probably going to drop a couple or a few games because of their tough schedule that they have the rest of the way. Three and four probably gets in for the Pistons, but uh, certainly if you're a Pistons fan, you want to go in with a little bit better uh, momentum than that. Maybe try to figure out a win, a way to win five of these, six of these, something like that. Uh, we'll see how that goes, but uh, you know, I, I think in and uh, I would have said a couple weeks ago that uh, it would have been a lower threshold of amount of games that you had to win to make the playoffs. But now if you get up to that, you know, 42, 43, you should be feeling pretty good. Let's talk about Andre Drummond just to finish this off here. He has really started to, to play. Yeah, yeah, look, he played well at the start of the season, had a little bit of a slump in the middle of the year, coming back really strong now and was instrumental in the last couple of games for this team. Well, what sort of steps forward has he taken in the last three weeks, four weeks for this team? I think he's played a lot better defensively lately. The counting numbers are there. He's got he six, six block shots the other night against Denver and making really important key plays at the rim, which is something that, you know, he's never really been a strong uh, rim protector. He's uh, done obviously one of the game's best rebounders, no doubt there, but uh, he's, his energy was questioned early on in his career, and that's something that he's kind of addressed and taken care of over these last couple of seasons. But I think the defense has taken uh, a lot of steps forward for him. He's got the ninth most steals in the league, which is the most for a center in the NBA. And since coming back from a concussion in late January, he's been getting 19 and 16 a game. So he's really answered the bell as far as uh, an important stretch for the Pistons and really been a key cog for them. So, you know, he, he's he's. A lot of the fan base is down on him, particularly the uh, casual Detroit sports fans because of the effort issue was early on in his career. But I think quietly he's kind of turned a lot of that around and become uh, a player that you can rely on every night for Dwayne Casey. It's going to be a real interesting fight here. Of course, the Western Conference playoff spots are all they're all stitched up already. We've already got those eight teams in. It's the East where the battle is, and there's going to be some hard-fought games here down the stretch. The Pistons right in the thick of it, and Matt's going to have all that covered for you over on Locked on Pistons. Thanks for jumping on Locked on NBA with me. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it.
Now we bring in the host of the Locked On Magic podcast, Philip Rossman Reich is here to talk about the Orlando Magic, the team on the outside looking in as things currently stand in the Eastern Conference playoff picture. The ninth seeded Orlando Magic, half a game behind the Miami Heat with just five games left in the season. Phil, how's your optimism for this team getting into the playoffs? You know, I still think they're decently good. Um, you know, it's it's obviously touch and go, and every little nudge can kind of either send them over the edge or put them in, put them in at this point. But uh, the Orlando Magic still have a, a fairly favorable schedule coming down the stretch, and they hold that tiebreaker over the Miami Heat. So, you know, I, I'd put it just slightly above 50-50 that they get in, but they got to take care of their own business. I asked this to uh, to Matt Shocker of Locked On Pistons. We're talking about how many games he thinks the Pistons have to to win to remain in or to stay in the playoffs. How many do you think Orlando needs to win here? Obviously, their results are, if every other team wins every game, then they're not going to make it. But how many do you think Orlando needs to win out of these remaining five to be a decent chance of getting in? I think if they go three and two in these final five games, they will be in the playoffs. If it gets to two and three, I think it's going to be very, very touch and go. So uh, it's definitely, I think, going to come down to that last game of the season. And Orlando's got to take care of their business. They got two home games against New York and Atlanta. Those feel like gimmies. They've dominated the Hawks, but they've lost a game to the Knicks. They cannot look past those games. They got to take care of their business at home and then find a win somewhere else between Toronto, uh, Boston, and uh, Charlotte to to finish the season. Well, Charlotte just got beaten by about 75 points on Sunday against the Golden State Warriors. I reckon they might have packed it in by the time we get to that last game of the year. The Celtics will likely be resting guys by that uh, second last game. The Raptors won coming up on Monday. Uh, you might have The game might have already happened by the time you're listening to this podcast. That's the real key one here for Orlando. How have they gone against Toronto this season? Because if I recall, they had a, a big win against them earlier this season. Yeah, actually, the Orlando Magic have played the Toronto Raptors really, really well. Um, there are some some caveats to that, but uh, early in the season, Orlando lost a game to the Raptors on a buzzer beater from Danny Green that had both Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry playing in the game. Toronto came back to Orlando in, in late December, and the Magic beat them by like 30. Uh, they just blew them, out, blew them out of the water. It was a huge victory for the Magic. And then Orlando went up to Toronto, played them without Kawhi Leonard, and beat them again by like 25, 30 points. So I don't put a lot of stock into those games. If anything, I put more stock into the game that they played, that first game that they played early in the season, and I think it was late November, early December. I put a lot more stock into that game, but obviously both these teams are extremely different since then. Um, It's going to be an interesting matchup to see how Orlando and Toronto play each other because that is a potential first-round preview as well. Uh, And obviously they're both going in very different directions um, they're both playing kind of very well heading into the playoffs, and, and and it should be an interesting matchup once again. What do you think has been the big thing that's you – know, Atlanta's one of the hottest teams in the NBA at the moment. Let's not get that – you know, let's not ignore that fact. They're 7-3 and three over their last 10. What's been this push? They've you know, had some victories that maybe some people might have thought that they weren't wouldn't be able to get, beat the paces comfortably, knocked off the heat, smashed the sixes. Um, yeah, and some the games they had to win, which was a problem when we spoke to you last, I believe, on Lockdown NBA, and just not beating the teams they needed to. Smack the, the Cavs, beat the Pelicans comfortably, some big wins in here, but really you're hankering down in these tough matchups. What's been that big sort of yeah, change, or what's been the, the common thread between those games? You know, I think a, a big thing for them, and it was really when they started turning the corner to begin with, was, was they're getting much better play off their bench. Um, their role players are really starting to step up and and fill in gaps. And you know, I think when we last spoke, Isaiah Briscoe had just gotten hurt, and Orlando really didn't have an answer yet. Uh, Jaron Grant kind of kept, kept the boat steady, but that bench unit doesn't need a guy that keeps the boat steady. They need someone that's going to kind of force the issue a little bit and add some energy. Uh, and you know, say what you will about him in his career to this point, 
Michael Carter Williams has been a humongous signing for the Orlando Magic this this season. Um, you know, I think it is fair to say that him signing with the team has has, has really helped spark the magic a little bit. Um, it certainly helped that he came while they were in the middle of a five game homestand that didn't feature a lot of quote unquote difficult teams, but he's really changed the energy off that bench uh, at Indiana. On Saturday, Orlando was really struggling to get any kind of defensive rhythm. They bring in a lineup that had Michael Carter-Williams, Wessa Wundu, Ken Birch, and then Aaron Gordon and Terrence Ross. And they locked down defensively for four or five minutes, and that was enough to get them the win. That was enough to kind of build momentum. And adding in that energy off the bench, just playing at a much quicker pace off the bench, has really helped turn this season around, whether it's whether it was Isaiah Briscoe or whether it was Michael Carter-Williams. They just need someone that's willing to mix things up and kind of force some action a little bit and, and then be willing to pass the ball out. They don't need a score necessarily. They just need someone to get in the paint a little bit off that bench. And it's really changed the dynamic of this team when you add in that that this is legitimately a top defense in the league. We know that Nikola Vucevic is the best player on this team and he has been comfortably and consistently all season. I think the question, Phil, I have for you is, who's the second best player in this team? Or is it something that, that varies? I guess the the automatic answer would be you just say it's Aaron Gordon. But I, there are times when DJ Augustin really steadies the ship. Jonathan Isaac comes out and, and plays stellar defense and has these weird offensive explosions. Evan Fournier comes in once every three games and has a big scoring night. Or is it just like a, a committee type approach? There's no real pecking order behind what Vooch does at the at the five. Yeah, it's it's sort of a by-committee approach, I would say, for who's going to be that second scorer next to Nikola Vucevic. It, it kind of depends on matchups. Sometimes it's it's Terrence Ross just gets hot off the bench and, and hits four or five threes, and that just sparks everything because Ross is such a difficult player to defend because he can get a, his shot off uh, under close quarters. Um, I think that the answer the Magic want to give, um, despite everything else, is Evan Fournier. He's the guy that will have the ball in his hands at the end of games. He's the guy they turn to to kind of create offense, frankly, uh, in pick and roll situations at the end of games. He's had a lot of a lot of buzzer beaters this year, a lot of big shots that he's made by his hands. He's made some mistakes for sure, and he hasn't had the shooting year that he wanted wanted at all, and and is really in line with his career. But really, over the last six or seven games, as the Magic have kind of made this renewed push to get back into the playoff race and put themselves in this position to be a half game out. Uh, it's been Evan Fournier that's really turned the corner. He's shooting a lot better. He's back kind of to 36, 37% from beyond the arc. And, and that reliability has made the offense that much more reliable too. So I think the answer, you know, most people probably want to say it's Aaron Gordon and, and Aaron's, I thought had a very good season, had a, uh, one of my favorite games that he's had in his career on Saturday. But I think the answer the magic want to give still is it's Evan Fournier because he's the one that's going to have the ball in his hands when the game is on the line. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out, Phil, over these last five games for the Magic. Can they push in and get to the playoffs in the, for the first time in what feels like a, a very, very long time, and I'm sure it feels even longer to you. Covering the team, you can have uh, Phil will have that all covered for you over on Locked On Magic over these final 10 days of the NBA regular season. Phil, thanks for joining me. No problem. Thanks for having me on. And that does it, guys, wrapping up another episode of Locked On NBA. We're only uh, 10 days away from the end of the NBA regular season. Make sure you are subscribing to this podcast. The best way to do that is by using the new Himalaya podcast app. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. And give us a big, fat, juicy five-star rating and review. That would be excellent. Find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble. And, of course, you can find the network at Locked On NBA Net on both Twitter and on Instagram. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Everyone, see ya.